Hello, I'm Elizabeth and Johnny. Well, hello everyone. Yes, I would be the Johnny one and he's she <laughs> We are so excited to continue this conversation about uh, things not only that are happening currently in our nation related to racism, but an ongoing issue that um, is been prevalent for too long now. And we're so excited to have two of our uh, friends. One is more new than the other <laughs> on with us for our interview today. It's Dr. Gail Rogers and Dr. Tina McRae. And am I saying your last name correctly? Dr. Correct. You got it just right. Thank you. <laughs> well, we'd love to start by having both of you give us a little understanding of, of who you are, your background, anything you want to tell us about yourself. We want this to be a relational time. And, um, and I'll just quickly pray as well. Holy Spirit, thank you for this opportunity to be with our friends, those listening and those that were, were having conversations. And we just ask that you would give us all ears to hear um, from each other and to hear your heart, Father, through each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we'll start with you, Dr. Gale. Tell us about yourself. Tell us things we should know. We'll ask you some more questions moving forward, but uh, introduce us in the way you'd like to be known right now before your audience. Well, thank you so much, um, Johnny and Elizabeth. You know, I have followed you all for um, probably 25 years. Uh, when, when you guys were young pastors here in Atlanta. And, you know, we we moved to California at the same time together. Yeah. And then you all left and, and, and you went to Tennessee and I came to Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, but I am pleased uh, that you chose both myself and my spiritual daughter, uh, Tina, to be with you today. It is a topic uh, that I'm I'm appreciative that people are saying, can we dialogue? Can we talk? Yeah. I, as you know, I am a clinical therapist. It seems that I've been doing this for so long, even before I ever got degreed and certified and all that stuff. I was working with foster children, abused children. And so abuse is part of what I know. It's, it's, it's much of what I know. Um, starting early on with working with young people, having foster children in our home. Um, we've always, along with that, I am um, a minister of the word. You know, I change nations. I, I love to think about that I change nations. And yet I was just sharing with someone, um, how can you change other nations and see what's going on in your own nation? And, and so my desire, and I believe God's um, assignment for me uh, in these last days, in this, in, in this season, and when I say last days, it's amazing to me. I've been hearing last days since I was a kid. <laughs> right, right. I don't even know that. I mean, yes, we're seeing what the Bible says, and yet I'm excited. I believe that God still has so much more for us. And so um, he's given me the assignment, literally, um, I believe, to raise the consciousness level of, of both blacks and whites. Now, we know there are other uh, cultures involved, but today it seems to be a black right. issue. Right. 
Right. And, uh, and so I'm appreciative to have friends that I feel safe enough with that I can say, you know, guys, this sucks. This, this hurts. And so, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled to be helping to advance the kingdom. Um, my dear spiritual daughter, sister, friend, we don't even know how to separate all of the different <laughs> components, but, um, I have worked with Tina uh, for many, many years. I love her dearly. She loves me. Thank the Lord. Cause you know, everybody doesn't. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to have Tina tell you a little bit about herself. She was pastoring. She's an apostle. She's a coach. Um, John Maxwell certified coach. Awesome. And uh, she teaches me, I, you know, it's amazing to me. We do these things together and, and she teaches me and she always says, and, and, and although I'm her mom, she still refers to me as Dr. Gail. And so, you know, she always says to me, do you need my help? Should I come over even this morning? Should I come over there? Or do you want to come over here? How can, how can I help? And That's so, true. you know, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are with your beautiful self? Oh, thank you. Thank you, mom. She just, you know, she's about to make me cry, but um, <laughs> I just uh, am honored to be a part, you know, Johnny and Elizabeth, I met you all, um, in 2015 in Dana Point when Dr. Gail, um, she started a, a coaching called Apostolic Ace, Apostolic Coaching for Empowerment. And I was one of her first members. Wow. And then she had the gathering in Dana Point and I met you. She used to talk about Johnny Enlow all the time. I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> and then when we got to meet you, my husband and I together, I've been following you too. And the, wow. I want to say the courage, I sent an email to my fellowship I'm the apostle and overseer of what we call Without a Trace Ministries. And we call it Without a Trace because of John 8, 36. The Amplified Classic says, when the sun liberates you, that is, makes men free, you are really and unquestionably free. And so we get Without a Trace because when we're delivered by the power of Christ and he liberates us, there's no trace of the things that he has delivered us from. And so um, the residue and so that is what I, the ministry that I'm over. I'm also an author. I've written a book called Empowering Truth, Real Stories About Overcoming Domestic Violence and Abuse. And so I, it's my story. And I took, I interviewed other people who had real stories and for the purpose of people to realize that you can break free, stay free and be free from abuse. So when people, there's a mindset, I think we're going to get into that, is that um, people get into a mindset they draw certain things. And so this book is a small booklet that people can put in their purses or what have you. And they can, it helps them to get, break out the excuses, break free in their mind first, and then able to stay free from that type of life. Everything about me deals with truth. And, and that's one of the things I love about you. I sent your email. Um, there was a doc, a, a, a article that you wrote recently, and it was powerful truth uh, dealing with a prophecy that somebody had given. And so I believe in speaking the truth in love and that truth makes people free. They may not like, you know how the movie, you can't handle the truth, but when that truth, truth empowers us and it makes us free. Everything about me is an empowerment coach, empowerment author, 
empowerment speaker. I have my own radio program called Truth of the Day. Wow. And uh, every Thursday it comes on uh, the PG, pgnetwork.org. And so Dr. Gale has been a push. She, she helps me to recognize and has helped me to recognize the gifts and callings on my life. When she said, God, years ago, God said, you're going to be a pastor. I was like, bless our heart, Lord. I don't know who this lady is. I just met her at some meet, a gathering. And I was like, I don't know who she is, but Lord bless her, Lord. She done. She missed it this time, Jesus. 20 years ago. <laughs> wow. So 10 years later, she shows up at my house when I started my ministry. And I was like, it's the lady. And so <laughs> she has been in my life. Uh, ever since, and she encourages me. So I believe today that people are going to be empowered with some truth. I really do. Hey, amen. Well, I'll pick up. I know you jump in on questions anytime. Yeah, as well. go for it. But of course, you all are, uh, you're both just amazing in the natural and in the spirit in every way, accomplished. And, um, but, you know, part of our purpose here in having these conversations, being able to have yeah, real talk, real conversation, uh, towards racial reconciliation, but uh, I'm sure you're all very aware that sometimes we try to get to the reconciliation part too fast without, um, uh, you know, addressing the matters that need to be addressed. And I think it would be helpful for our audience just to be able to hear a little of your stories, just how you've experienced uh, racism, just if you have and how you have and growing up. And, and recently, either either one of them, but specifically growing up, I think it just serves a purpose for educating us and our audience as to what it what it's like. You're both doctors now and you're advanced. You're advanced in the spirit. Uh, uh, you're advanced in the natural. You're credible, strong people. And and uh, but I am pretty certain that you've had to overcome some uh, significant hurdles and some hurdles that not everyone faces um, because of having been black, the combination of black and women, I'm sure just added, that's a whole nother conversation for another, <laughs> for another day is empowering women. Uh, Cause you're, you're both. And, uh, but since you're already talking, uh, Dr. Tina, let's, uh, let's just start with, with you on that and just share whatever you're comfortable with. It will really help us and help our audience. Before sure. we get started, I have one question. Yes, There's a guy outside across the street mowing the lawn. Are you guys hearing that noise? Not no. a thing. Excellent. Okay, very good. Good. Um, well, again, thanks for this opportunity. I'm going to start with childhood first, and then I'm going to, uh, you mentioned how we are black women. Another thing to point out is we're black, light-complected women. Oh, wow. And um, <laughs> there is a stigma that's t attached to that mm -hmm. as well. So um, I'm going to talk, I'm going to touch on that and I'm going to pass it to mom, Dr. Gale, because I know she can really touch, because, you know, it, it's, there's a, a, a statement that people talk, call us if you're our complexion, light, black, light, bright, almost white. Wow. And uh, so we get uh, made fun of about our own people sometimes, and then you get treated a certain way by white people. This so I um, grew up in Kentucky. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. And uh, we, my parents were mid, mid, I would say working class, middle class people. Uh, my father was an engineer at GE, so we made, they made, he made good money. And uh, we, and the, we, it's funny because when you look at 
people Dr. Gale's age, not to be, you know, saying, but people say, well, racism was back then. You know, <laughs> it's not now. It's not, you know, don't talk about it. It's, it that's over. But when I was growing up uh, in the 70s and, and I was born in 63 and, um, you know, we just heard about Dr. King. I went to Martin Luther King Elementary School. Um, then we, we it was we had some uh, diverse teachers there, though, even though it was black school, considered black school in the West End. Uh, that we called the best end, but the West End was considered the black part of town. But at that time, it was white flight taking place because where we were were nice homes, but white people had moved out, were moving out. But our neighbors were white, and I saw them as family. I didn't know any different as a child. Pre preschool, I used to play. We had a stop sign. I would play with one of my neighbors um, at the stop sign, and we would just pull on the pole and talk. And one day, she said, you know, you're in, you know, the N word. And, and uh, I didn't know what she was saying. You know, I was just, she was, and I was looking up at her. I, I looked up to her. I thought she was a little bit older than me. And I, I just thought the world of her. And she's like, you know, you're in, right? And I, was, I didn't pay attention to it. She's like, you're in. And she started calling me in. And then my mom, she always watching. She was at the front door, get in here. And I thought, what did I do? <laughs> so I thought I was in trouble. I was like, I didn't do anything. And she was like, don't, you can't play with her anymore. She's not your friend. And I was like, but what, what happened? And then at dinner time, they were talking about her saying I was an in. And, and I was like, what does that mean? And then as they grew up, the, there was four children in that household. And as they, the parents loved us, he was like a granddad to us. I couldn't understand what happened. What changed? We played together all this time. And then um, she, uh, the two of the kids, couldn't stand black people all of a sudden. They just start looking at us crazy, turn their nose up at us, didn't speak to us, act like we were invisible. And we'd run up to the driveway and say hi to them and they'd drive off. And then the other two loved us and embraced us still, took pictures with us. And um, it was just really shocking and hurtful. So we went to all black school. And so, you know, we watched, I watched the video, the 13th. Mm -hmm. And it talks about the 13th amendment. And they talk about slavery and how slavery went, and then they used them. They they freed the slaves, and then they used the 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 Jim Crow. They used the little law in there, the Thirteenth, that little part about criminalizing black people, and then they had the Jim Crow. But then they even mentioned in that video forced busing was another way of dealing with segregation, and I was a part of forced busing. So they take us the school systems we had in our neighborhoods. They were ran, some of the school buildings ran down and all this stuff. But when white people were coming to our neighborhoods, all of a sudden the schools got fixed up. Okay. Cause they were coming to our neighborhood and they shipped us away from our home, miles away from where we lived. And I was in middle school and the clan were waiting for us. And the people in the neighborhood were waiting for us. Ends go home and go home. And they were all shouting and they had on their robes and they were screaming and we had to learn and mm. get our education that way every wow. day. Yeah. And uh, it got worse in high school. Um, it's an area now, Valley Station, Kentucky, um, where it's still known for that. And we couldn't come out of the school building for anything. The neighbors, the people in the neighborhood would attack our students. Um, we They would fight and we had racial riots. Our, our kids made homemade weapons, nunchucks to protect themselves. And we didn't know any better. We we're on the school bus. The clan is out there with their shotguns and their robes. And so one day we decided we was going to take us some water balloons and fill them up and hit them with the water balloons, not realizing. Oh, I forgot about one of my phones. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. 
No problem. I forgot about this one. I was off. I took off from work for this. Um, <laughs> but uh, one day we um, we decided we was gonna throw balloons. Show out. them. So we counted three. They're out there, not realizing we could have all been killed that day. Our parents would have never known because we were so far away from home, and we 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 bombed them with water balloons. And they started shooting their guns, and and they would throw at us anyway. So we thought we'd throw back. They would throw dirt bombs at our buses, and again we had to learn. And they would take water hoses and have to, like you see back in the '60s. That's how I went to school. They took water hoses and sprayed them down to stop the fights. And we had we couldn't have after school programs because they, the neighbors, the people would show up and start fights with our our students. So um, that's how I grew up. Wow. And then I thought, ooh, if I could just get away from this. So I, I sat, my mom and dad told me I need to start co-op. And so, cause I need to work in air condition cause I had asthma and all these things. So I'm thinking, ooh, I'm gonna get me, I got me a, my first job at an insurance company. And I go to work midday, part of the day at school. And so I've been in the insurance industry for over 37 years, wow. starting from co-op. And when I get to work my first day, I'm all excited. And this white lady meets me and she looks at me like I'm dirt. And she looks like I stink. And I'm like, what is good? And so the guy, he takes me and he mentors me and shows me. And the, the manager, he just so loving like a granddad again and kind. But when I come out to get my work, she throws it at me and talks snappy at me. And she couldn't stand me. And she tried to find anything on me that she could for me to get fired. And so I learned as an adult that my work, the Bible says, cause I, I love God. And the Bible says that whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord. So I looked beyond her and said, God, I'm going to work. You gave me this job. And I believe no man can shut this door. If I work as unto you and not her and please you, she can't stop me. And so that's what has caused me to be successful today as a director of one of the major global insurance industries today, a director of global controls and operations. And I've experienced that systemic racism. I've been the only black in most departments that I've been in. And so we get, we call it being work like Hebrew slaves. Black people have to get, you get more work than your peers, less pay, and you know it's happening. And then you, but you, then your review comes, oh, you did what we expected you to do. And then I call it the Christopher Columbus. We come up, Jane Elliott talks about how, how could Christopher Columbus discover America when somebody was already living there? You didn't discover anything. So we experienced the Christopher Columbus in corporate America because we have people, you give your idea and they take it and act like it's their idea and you get no credit, no development, no none of those things. But because the Bible says that a man's gifts will make room for him, I believe that God opened doors because of my gifts. They could not deny it. And so they would create opportunity. Opportunities were created where only I could fit in it. And that has happened to me. And Dr. Gail knows because I've given her so many testimonies of how God has caused people to create. I see the need, present the need, and they create a position for me to fill it. And that's what his word says. And we, I believe and I, I know we're going to get to it, and I'm sorry, I know I'm going long, but no, no, this, this is it. my life. And uh, my daughter went through it, you know, we, as, as a light skin, you know, people looking at you, they say, you better, you better stand for us. You better not get in there and act like you forget you're black. Because I'm like, just because I'm light skin don't mean I don't know who I am. 
But I have to tell you, listening to those people when I was a child, and my brother went through it from elementary all the way up, and even the teacher kicking him and hitting him and things like that. Growing up for somebody saying, you don't belong here. You're nothing. You, your skin makes you nothing. There's something I'm sure you've heard of called the imposter syndrome. So even though I was successful, I struggled with that success because I always wondered, I never could enjoy it. I always went for the next thing. I always kept going for the next thing to prove because we were told, you got to prove you belong here. You got to prove that you've earned this role. You earned this promotion. You got to prove. And so we kept constantly until I realized that was a stronghold that had to be broken off my life. A person told me in one of the trainings I went to, a business training, I've never seen somebody be afraid of success. I've seen people be afraid of failure, but you seem to be afraid of success. You need to ask why you're that way. He didn't, you know, you couldn't use pray. So he said, you need to consider and ask yourself why you're that way. And I discovered not long ago um, that it was an imposter syndrome that most black females have, but people have it, but generally black females uh, struggle with that. Two doctors, I forget their names, they wrote an, wrote an article about it, the imposter syndrome. I call it a stronghold. When we erect a belief, and that's what's going on in America, there's been a stronghold, a belief, a faulty belief system that's been erected that even if it's wrong, it's a stronghold that they are holding on to. I feel white people are holding on to, but black people also have an area where we talk about changing our language. I had to change my own language about me and where I belong and who I was. And that came through knowing who I was in Christ Jesus. I have a couple of questions. So when you say imposter syndrome, I, I assume what that means and tell me if this is correct, that it feels like I'm an imposter. I'm here, but I don't really deserve it. I, I shouldn't, I, I'm, I'm still not good enough, so I have to keep trying harder. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, because we, we're we told that. We're, we're, we're conditioned. You know you know, you got to look better. You got to dress better. You got you to gotta be better. So the imposter syndrome, also known, I'm going to read it to you, known as the imposter, imposter phenomenon, fraud syndrome, is a psychological pattern in which one doubts one's accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Because if you've been told you don't belong here, who do you think you are? You, 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 don't, you, you shouldn't even be in our neighborhood. You shouldn't be. And that's still like that in Georgia. There are certain neighborhoods, they have that big old Confederate flag in the, at the entranceway of the subdivision. You know, because what happened, Johnny, you mentioned this, how it was you know obvious and, and slavery and all those things. And then when the, just because we, uh, signed a law and we can drink from the same water fountain, but it became more subtle. Insidious is the word. Insidious, I use that in my book. It's a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects, seductive way of a cunning way of entering in or implementing something in an insidious way. I watched a movie called Insidious. I watched all three of them. They were so scary. And I was like, how did this happen? It was so demonic. Insidious is a demonic way of things entering in, it's subtle, it's seductive, it seduces people, it's a spirit that comes in. And so even for us as a people who feel like, I don't, you've been told that, and then people treat you like you don't belong. You, when we sit at the table, even at a business table, you can feel yourself cr crowded in, even with the attitudes of what's she doing here? 
Wow. And then when I come out of the room and my, my the black people see I'm the only one coming out of the boardroom, oh. how did she get in there? Why, some people are like, you go, girl. And others are like, what did she give up to get in there? Wow. And, you know, or just being successful. I was successful at 19. My, my, I had my own apartment. I had a, uh, a luxury car, everything at 19 years old. My mama told me, I expect you to be out when you're 18. So I figured she meant it. And I've been working in insurance all this time. And I had an accident, got a luxury car and this and that. But the insurance agent who was white came to my house. I was just purchasing insurance. And they insinuated that I had a sugar daddy because of what I had. I couldn't just be black and successful. I had to be sleeping with somebody to get what I needed. And I had to let them know, honey, God is the lover of my soul. He blessed me with everything. Look around. Everything I have because I have great parents and a great God. That's good. Did you have another question for her? Can we? I guess this isn't a question as much as I want to process as a white woman, as your sister, listening to you just out loud for a second to give perhaps our audience an opportunity to process what they may be feeling right now. Um, I think when we listen to someone tell their story, we tend to look for anything that we can relate to. And where I found myself relating is as a mom, I'm, I'm, I'm just like panicking inside. I have daughters, we have daughters. And the thought of any of my baby girls going through what you went through and what you continue to go through is like as a mom, I'm just like, I like what, what do we do? We got to fix this. You know, there's something in us that has to rise up and look for, look for the, the connect point in your own heart and feel it and let it hit its mark. And, and, and through these conversations, we, we want to be in dialogue with each other, but also with the Holy spirit. What, what can I do to bring change to these areas? Because these are areas that continue. As you said, they're neighborhoods. We live here in the South. I've seen them. I live near them. Uh, people that are stuck. They're very stuck in these mentalities. So anyway, there's much more I could process that I don't need to go into, but I just wanted to just interject that. So you wanted Dr. Yeah, Gale Dr. To Gale, uh, jump in? To be able to share her story or some of her story, whatever she can do right now would be awesome. I'm glad you stopped Elizabeth because you were going to make me cry in just about yes. two seconds. I, and <laughs> because I could, I could feel you feel Tina's pain, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. And, and, and so, yes, my story is somewhat different uh, than Tina's because I grew up in Oklahoma uh, and, and a lot of my time was spent in uh, living with my grandparents who lived in the country. And although I, I, so I didn't know racism, I went through my entire schooling up to even my first year of college in an all black school. So I learned about slavery. Uh, it wasn't something that was talked about in the home but I learned about it in school. Uh, I was that light, bright pe person who 
I was, I never fit in anywhere. I spent most of my life never fitting in uh, and, and not understanding why, but I was called the high yellow uh, person. I didn't even learn uh, the generational uh, system in my, the bloodline generation until I was way into adulthood. But I remember going on my first missionary trip on a riding a bus from Oklahoma to Tennessee and having a group of white uh, people throwing rocks at the bus and, and yelling, in, go home, in, go home, in, go home. And that was kind of my first um, uh, awareness of, of how bad it was. I mean, not that I was uh, ignorant, but just I wasn't involved with it. But in high school, there was a woman by the name of Clara Looper. Clara Looper um, was the civil rights leader for all of, of Oklahoma, actually the, the entire state of Oklahoma. But my classmates used to go and do sit-ins at restaurants, at the cafes, because we were not allowed to go there. We had to go to the back. And... Um, but I remember I didn't get to participate with them, but every Saturday they were going out marching and they were going and sitting in the, and I would ask my grandparents, well, why are they, what's a sit-in? And why are they sitting in at the, at the restaurants at, at uh, Woolworths, I think was one of them. And um, eventually things begin to change. I want to digress for just a moment and talk about a dream that I had about 15 or 16 years ago, um, I was working in a white finance office and someone ran in and, and they were shouting, they were afraid and, and they said, I said, what's, what's wrong? And they said, they're killing all the black people. They're killing all the black people. And I jumped up and grabbed my purse and headed outside. And they said to me, well, Gail, where are you going? And I said, I gotta go help my people. I got to go help my people. And so I ran out uh, and I saw all these white people heading towards me at what looked like shotguns. But I wasn't afraid. It was like, no, I've got to go help my people. And when they got closer to me, uh, instead of it being shotguns, it was umbrellas. And I remember uh, running along looking to see what it was that I was supposed to do. And I ran uh, into someone and it was a really tall, like maybe seven or eight feet tall, uh, a man that grabbed me, embraced me and kissed me. And then I heard this music and I looked up, there was a room and I looked up and all I heard in my spirit, now this is before I even got really exposed to the apostolic movement. And what I heard in my spirit was that's apostolic worship. And, and then I went uh, over to another side and there were a lot of black people and they were talking about how do we save ourselves? And so it's interesting, I, 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 as Tina was talking, I just remembered that dream. I knew that the dream was significant. I, and so when I look at it now, I can see how significant it is, is, is that there is a culture of people and I talk about this frequently, that when, when um, 
Jesus left the 99 and went back for the one. I believe that the African-American race is the one. I believe that this is the season that he's going back. Now, going back, as I, you know, became an adult, came into adulthood, uh, I discovered something. One of my relatives had done a lot of research on our family. And, and around this time, there was a lot of racial reconciliation going on. There was foot washing and just a whole bunch of stuff. Now, even though, um, I mean, I got called, I, I got, uh, the people around me were all called nappy headed. Uh, but because I had straight black hair, I wasn't called nappy headed, but I began to see how people made a difference in the way I was treated and the way others, by the time I finally was around uh, white people. And so, you know, as, as, I, as I came into much greater understanding, I discovered that my great, great, great grandfather was a white slave owner. Wow married to a Choctaw Chickasaw Indian wow. who couldn't inherit property. So when he died, the property went somewhere, but his great, great grandson, which would have been my great, great grandfather was a slave. And, and so I began to understand, oh Lord Jesus, I had to go through some deliverance. There was all this warring you know, inside of me. Am I black? Am I white? Well, I never told anybody except one day I was telling my daughter and I said, my great, great, great grandfather uh, was a slave owner. And my daughter said to me, oh God, mom, does that mean we have to go and apologize to the Negroes? And I, you know, (laughs) we were like, I, there's a, that in between, uh, you know, there's something called an Oreo. Have you guys ever heard that term? Yes, I have. Okay. That Oreo was um, an in between, you know, where you don't know uh, you, you either black or you white. So what's interesting to me in all of this is that back then, and I was doing some research last night on the, the, uh, uh, black codes and the Jim Crow era is that interestingly that if you had uh, three quarters, no, one eighth of black blood in you, you were considered a Negro. Wow. And, and so probably most of the population, as we begin to do research, have <laughs> that. What I found um, on the day that Martin Luther King was killed, um, I began to understand more. When John Kennedy was killed, I began to understand more. So I've been involved in um, this whole racism issue without really even recognizing it as systemic, but I've been a part of the NAACP, the Urban League, uh, from a very young age, it just, I listen, guys, I wanted to be a Black Panther. Wow. I had an Afro that big. I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was young. I was a young mother. I lived in, in San Francisco and Oakland had a, a big concentration of, and man, when Angela Davis 
wow. uh, would would be speaking somewhere. I related. Wow. And I I I wanted to join the Black Panther Party, but I was afraid. I they were being killed. But but I saw the good. I I I I saw the good that they were doing. They were formulated to feed their children because the black kids were going to school hungry. And they started the same breakfast program that we have today was started by the Black Panther Party. But, but they were called uh, terrorist. And it's interesting, and, and, and you could see that on, the, on that documentary, 13th. Mm -hmm. um, Angela Davis came to our church to speak and I remember just being so proud of her, but I didn't have that kind of courage. Mm. I, you know, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Eldridge Cleaver, Bobby Seal, all those guys were good guys, but they were touted as black terrorists and we got to get rid of them. And I mean, they, the Black Panthers that they did not kill, the FBI and the police that they did not kill, they put in prison. Yeah or they had to leave the country yeah. and go somewhere else. So I think there's always been a certain element of militancy in me. Now I'm, I'm not angry, but uh, I was describing to someone the other day when they were saying to me that they thought um, that, you know, once all of that was over with and we came into the kingdom and we got healed uh, we got delivered that we no longer had the pain. And I described it as um, being involved in, a, in, a, in a, a relationship, being married for 20 years to a batterer. And I said, you know, he's beat you upside your head for 20 years, told you you were nothing, pushed you around, shoved you, uh, withheld the money. And then finally you got a clue and you left that marriage, you got divorced. Um, he went on wherever he went. You went through counseling, you got healed and you're good. You got a great job. You furthered your education. And then you married another guy that's an apostle or a pastor. Um, and I have a friend that was in a marriage with the pastor for 22 years and he'd beat her up every Sunday before they'd go to church and she'd have to sit there as first lady. And um, and I and so now you marry someone that loves the Lord, man of God. And six months into the marriage, he starts beating you up and he starts cursing you out. Well, that same wounding that you've gotten healed from all those years ago is now reopened. And you don't even know that he's a batterer. That's what I see. That's what I see in America. Uh, and you guys, I'm sure we'll probably get to this, but that's what I see when, when people say, well, I don't understand why the folks are so angry. Well, they've had years, generations, yeah. generations of this. And now it's just come to a boiling point, yeah. a tipping point that they simply said, we can't take this anymore. We don't know how to fight it. So we're just going to do. And, and when I look at what's happening today, all of the burning and the looting and all that stuff, it's blamed on the black people. Right. They're saying that we're burning down our communities. 
Why would we do that? So, so I've got, interestingly, and I'm a person that takes other people through deliverance, but I noticed that I've got a lot of pain. Uh, just from looking at, I can't stand to see anybody hurt. Uh, last thing I'll say and turn it back over to you, Johnny, is that, my God, we take better care of our dogs. We love our dogs. And, and, and yet we look at a human being. And so there, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. No, that is, that is so, so good. And, and yeah, it would do us good to hear another hour of your, your story. I know there's so much more as well, but it's, it's just, uh, it's, thank you for your honesty in what you've shared so far. I know there's uh, so much more I can say, you know, related to the black Panthers and Eldridge Cleaver. I was in, I was born and raised in Peru, South America. My parents were missionaries, but I was in first grade, uh, for that year. I lived in Miami, uh, Florida with my parents. We came back kind of a furlough year. And so, I remember, as you were saying that, I would remember, yes, uh, Black Panthers being actually being afraid at night. Black Panther. Somehow, I had been able to pick up somehow from whatever what I was exposed to, not from my family, but um, just whatever news, friends, school. Media. I was yeah, first grade media, and yeah, Eldridge Cleaver's a bad guy. Bobby Seals, they're they're bad guys, and there is. Uh, a whole re-understanding of, of history. Yeah, Angela Davis, then later on, oh my goodness, she's a dangerous communist. <laughs> right. and, and so, and we have the people, of course, that are working, uh, they're, you know, that's a whole other discussion, but people from the top, behind the scenes, controllers in the nation and all that kind of stuff, working the race angle as well. There's the natural things that have to be worked out, but they are definitely adding inflammatory language perceptions. And, and so I had an entirely distorted perception on, on just what was, uh, you know, just on those, again, the, the, I've relearned some things that recently on, on those, like to reconsider, like it would have been shocking for me to hear that not that many years ago, what you're saying something positive about the black Panthers. Right. But you said that was just, uh, that's something good for everyone to hear who didn't know that just that, you know, they started the, the breakfast, uh, was it called breakfast club? Did you call it? or, or breakfast? breakfast program, the program. feeding program. Right. And, and what we relate to, of course, Elizabeth and I, and the, the whole seven mountain, the reformers thing that we've been on and, and why we uh, connect to this um, much easier. Often, you know, the body of Christ, we have this, insulated super spiritual in church dynamic where we only know how to talk and process uh four walls type stuff you know who prophesied who gave a word who's under who's the holy spirit who's healing and it's like and the whole call that the lord has for us as reformers is to understand another aspect of society in the justice matters and the justice matters have been pretty much ignored by uh, the white church the black church has not obviously and 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 so really in when we first our message on seven mountains and reformation just to add this component to it you know really in 2006 is when started speaking that the first book um came out uh, seven mount prophecy 2008 i think 90 percent of my invitations the first few years were 
black churches, black conferences in the in the United States. I would be the only um, white guy there. And uh, and so I, I I loved it. I connected more. But it was like, wow, the only ones that recognize we need to show up in society and not just get people saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, yes. the prophetic word are my black brothers and sisters. And so that's literally my early encouragement just on a whole message of reformation is that there are actual things in society that have to be shifted and changed. And of course, that's why you have something, uh, a little radicalness inside you because you're so in touch with the injustice matters and and then the need to properly process how we move forward as kingdom. Yeah, our forward as kingdom, yeah. Our first is is kingdom and so we have to know how to how to make this a kingdom advance kingdom objective but it's really really helpful for us and just to tell the audience who if in case you didn't get that these are two living people with us today and they're both telling you that they've been called in their lifetime growing up and it was uh, the n-word in go home uh and and had things thrown at them, rocked, maybe been shot at, facing uh, KKK. This is this is our, they're our generation. If they're not dead. They're our generation. Right. And and so uh, yeah, and we haven't asked them and talked about their kids and to what level. But as they say, sometimes it just shifts and hides. If you can't uh, wear the the white masks, you you do something else. You have programs. You have laws. You have systems in place you know you have i won't go into my own my um, soapbox on this but yeah you create laws of vagrancy and uh, and no loitering and and things and like what in the world are those kind of laws but it's next uh, it's, it's not time for me to go into that story uh, uh, right now but um so i wanted to ask i don't know if you want to ask another uh, i wanted to ask um a question from both of you, and um, and, I, and I'll just go ahead and ask both the questions right up front. And you can either do them back to back or do the first question first. And I'll start with uh, Dr. Tina. Is and here's the two questions: What con what concerns you most in the present discussion uh, taking place as it relates to to race and racial racial reconciliation? And I suppose to the degree it it addresses the church conversation on it would even be more helpful. Like what is, what part concerns you most? And then follow that up with what encourages you most. Uh, and so the first one lets us know really some area we need to grow into intentionally right now. And then we can recognize that the, the good after that. But do you feel comfortable addressing that Dr. Tina? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. So, okay. The thing that concerns me most is that people are not just doing a knee-jerk reaction in the church even because it's like this is an opportunity i believe and i've been ministering this since my my spiritual daughter her name is tashara luster beasley and in 2014 we just would spend time i had to shift to new york temporarily so we would spend bible study time and the lord had given her prophetic words from 2014 about the theme for each year until 2020 
She said that 2020 was going to be the year God told her and gave scripture to that 2020 was going to be the year where we had a revival of the greatest deliverance the world has ever seen the world. And I remember when we got so I, in 2019, I started as we would wind down 2019. That was the year of faith. So we would believe in God for transformation. 2020, the church, we all talk about faith. 2020, I start talking about deliverance, not clarity and vision, but deliverance and, you know, dealing with deliverance and, and talking about that. And that the church and that everybody admits that we all need personal deliverance first. I don't care if you're black or white. Right. I think the thing that concerns me most is that even where we are right now in the church, we're, we haven't taken full advantage of the shelter in place and the power that comes behind that closed door of dealing with our own view and our own lenses and that white people in the church are not just doing a knee jerk reaction, hoping it's going to go. Oh, this is just like it was, you know, 10 years, 20 years ago. It'll die down. They'll shut up about it. And really let's look at this, accept the truth. You know how we tell people about how to accept Jesus? First, you got to acknowledge the ABC. You got to acknowledge. You got to you got to acknowledge. Well, we're at, I, it's concerned me that everybody's not acknowledging this, that it's real. It's true. And then confessing the sin, whatever part they're playing in, whatever asking God. Look, Dr. Um, Gordon Bradshaw said, where is the darkness in my heart? And let that light shine in me so that I then we can shift life issues when the light of Christ is really being revealed. And then what are we doing about being a different body of belief, being the body of Christ? That concerns me. But the hope I have is that this is the year of deliverance. And when I think about that deliverance and what that means and what even 20 mean, people, I, when people start cursing 2020, I went, 2020 needs to get out of here. No, because 20 deals with redemption. Yep. Crowning achievement, divine order, and so think about it. If if, if God is going to bring divine order, what has to happen? The exposure of disorder has to happen, and so the greatest level of exposure of disorder, anarchy, all these things is being exposed, so that we can come to a completion for spiritual perfection and holiness, which is part of what twenty is, and all of that we're expecting it. The Bible talks about how it is labor pains. It's, this is the beginning of joy, though. And so for me, I have hope that this is deliverance. This is going to be a major deliverance. It, it's the start. I don't believe that by the end of 2020, it's going to be over. Yeah. But it's going, the revival across the world. Because I said, God, how are you going to do the greatest deliverance revival in the world? <laughs> I thought COVID was it. And now we see this. And like you said, it's not stopping with COVID and racial divide, but it's enlightening the eyes of our understanding so that we can focus on as the church, the power of God that we need to and walk in that same power he used to raise his son from the dead. If He, that same power is in us and we have to, if you're walking in that imposter syndrome, if you're walking in denial, that's an opportunity for us to be delivered first. And even think about it, it's fear. Fear and anger. I, we did a Bible study last night dealing with our spiritual gifts. The church is so focused on the gifts and the anointing. But why are we not seeing the fire of God coming from the church? Because our gifts have been masked by fear and anger and blocked. And so, look, we had to put on a mask for COVID, but Holy Spirit is taking the mask off of the church. And so now 
I'm believing and excited that we're come, becoming unmasked in the spirit. And now it's an opportunity for us to really move forward with dealing with anger and fear and those things that are tied to intolerance. People think about hatred and all that, but what about intolerance? What about um, uh, dealing with uh, lack of um, resentment? Those things that we take lightly and uh, that we overlook and we look at the outward sins, but we don't look at attack seditions, sarcasm, and unforgiveness, all those type of things as part of dealing with anger. And so I'm excited that, and I'm glad to be alive. I believe those of us who were born in 63, we are reformers because we're not afraid. We're, and then the kid, my kids, uh, the millennials, I have a 19 year old and she went to a white Christian school and uh, the it was a white leaders to the point where she said, I don't wanna be black because black people have it too hard. And, and they didn't even have a lunch. Like usually at a school, the lunch lady is at least black. Child, they wouldn't even hire a black person in the lunchroom. And so we pulled her out of that school and brought her back. But here's the mindset. We took her out of our neighborhood to take her to a white neighborhood to that school because in our mind, it was better over there. But she said, I don't want to be black. So we took her out of that neighborhood, brought her back to our neighborhood where she could see some black people. Never even learned about Black History Month, which is American history all the time. But yeah. she never learned about it until she came over on our side of town and found and saw a principal that was black and teachers that were black. But then the kids was like, you talk like you're white. Your hair looks like white people. You're not up. And so she got racism from both. She got treated like Dr. Gail talked about. But we had to. Um, really talk to her about who that caused depression. There's a lot of stuff that's being deli deliverance is coming from for all of us. Depression, anxiety, fear is major, and rejection of the orphan spirit. All these things are being delivered. Oh my God, I'm telling you, I'm excited about the mighty move of God that is being ex these things are being exposed. And why are so many kids? The, and the millennials are our children are de depressed because of what they've seen us dealing with and what they're dealing with. But I'm telling you, she is, my child has been delivered and healed from that because we have been talking about the power of God and who you are in Christ. And that's what I, I that's my hope. Yeah. So well said. Isn't that so amazing? Powerful. You know, I was just thinking, and I mean to cut you off, sweetie. Um, yeah, Dr. Tina, you know, things that happen in your childhood just mark you and they can stay with you forever. But you, uh, you went through what you did, the KKK's there and your call names, things are thrown at you. But hope comes, comes alive in you so easily. That's, that really is a testament to you, your relationship with the Lord and you dealing with all the, yeah, all the stuff, your own, yeah, you've dealt with. What you just got through telling everyone is something you've done, you in-house you deal with uh, bitterness, resentment, anything that would hold you back. And so you, you, you step into this hopeful perspective of the future and what's before us really easily. I saw you carry hope in a great way. And that's, that's just an amazing uh, testament to you having done your personal business with Jesus. We'll say. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Abraham, he hoped against hope. He plunged deep in to the promises of God to bring, I mean, think about how long he waited. And, and my daughter was like, well, where's God at? What, how come he sees this? If he loves us, that's what I said. That's what the Israelites was asking. Right. They were like, where is our deliverer? But they still hoped 
against all hope. We Romans talks about hoping against hope and plunging into the promises of God. And he came up with his faith and strength to keep going. That's what we have to do is hope against hope. And then we plunge into the promises of God. And I still believe no matter what it looked like, I still believe. And so we have to do what we work is unto the Lord and be that light. And I tell you what, when you have the wisdom of God, people pay for that. They have, they, they can't deny the wisdom of God. And I thank Amen. them for it. Hallelujah. So good. So good. Dr. Gail, I'll give you an opportunity to answer those questions as well. And, and before you say any more, you know, we love, this is generally, you may recognize, we'll call it loosely the white church. We'll love to hear you all in victory and sharing all that stuff. But we, we so appreciate the process as well. Everything else you're telling about, we really want to hear. Uh, oh, yeah. It's so, so uh, helpful um, for us and in, in our process and what God's doing, the reconciliation thing. Yeah, the deliverance. Uh, he's resetting us, going after our roots and all that. And so it's um, and so I, I'm doing that little segue because we don't want Dr. Gale to feel like she has to step right into the hope part. I want to hear the yeah, concerns. The cons oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because again, you know, we, remember this it's deliverance. It's I start out with talking about deliverance is necessary and it's individual. And the white church has to acknowledge that. So I'll kick it back to that, that point that the key is we can't just use the ABCs to accept Jesus and think you can't work the ABCs in your life in deliverance. Come on. Yeah. And that's where I'll kick it to Dr. Gale. I still say deliverance is key for every man. And even the, the system, that white Christian school, they were Southern Baptist people. And when Obama, my daughter stayed up past midnight to see Obama become president, to go to school for her teacher to say, well, our country has elected a, a king who's going to lead us into bondage. What? I went over to that school. I said, honey, this is supposed to be a Christian school. And you need to teach Christology and keep your ideology to yourself. Don't tell our children that the, a black man is going to lead them into bondage. You're not going to do that today. And so I took her out of that school. And they, well, we figured you couldn't afford it. No, honey, I can. I have enough money to pay for all of y'all salaries. I make a lot of money. I took. I left because you're racist. That's why we're leaving. <laughs> 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 My greatest concern is that the black race will embrace their kingship. Yes. Um, that we have allowed ourselves to be trodden down so deep into the depths of despair. My greatest concern is to raise them up to raise the consciousness level of who they are. We, 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 we've spent so much time talking about what well, white people won't let us do this and the white people won't let us do that, uh, that we'll begin to understand who we were even before slavery. Yes. We were kings and queens. We owned property. We were wealthy. And, and someone made a decision, some greedy imbecile uh, made a decision, well, let's just make them slaves. Now, whatever, for whatever reason, we don't know the reason. You know, I've asked God this question. He's probably never going to answer me. And 
<laughs> this I is why. But I, I kind of liken us to the Israelites. You know, they would be rebellious and God would send them into bondage or, 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 you know, whatever would happen. But then God would turn right around when they would be released and he would show them how to conquer the very ones that held them in bondage. My greatest concern is that our black people, the intelligence, the smartness, uh, everything that they have, that they won't be so angry that yes. they feel the need to now we just got to go kill up all the white folks. Right. Because, see, that's the fear that's being instilled in America right now. Come on. Is that America is looking and they're going, oh, my God, I, you know, I don't know what who Black Lives Matter are. They started out, I thought, being a good group. Uh, it's kind of like the, the Black Panthers started out being a good group. Mm -hmm. But they were being killed. And things were happening that they had to arm themselves to protect their families. And so my greatest concern is, and I would say this, first of all, let me say this to the white race. Don't get caught up in fear. Yes. Don't get caught up in a place of where you're afraid every time you go out your, your house and you see a dark skinned person that you get af afraid. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. It's it's that simple. Uh, I'm I'm Ed and I are getting ready to leave in the morning to go to Phoenix, and I decided to do the um, research to see what COVID numbers were taking place in Phoenix. And when I looked at it in in the month of June, they had over twelve thousand new cases. I looked at Gwinnett County, and Gwinnett County had sixty eight hundred uh, uh, cases. And immediately I was like, and Ed was already packed. And it was like, well, babe, maybe we shouldn't go. Now we've been sheltered in place for almost four months, moved to Atlanta and two weeks later, we can't go outside the house. Yep. And so it's like, well, maybe we shouldn't go. You know, they got so many new cases. And then I, I went and, and I talked to my doctor and, uh, and my doctor said, well, I, think, you know, you guys are protecting yourself. In other words, she said, you know, I think you should reconsider that. And so I thought, if I can't believe the God who saved me, the God who died for me, if I can't believe that he's powerful enough to protect me, and the only way he can protect me is sitting in my house, <laughs> you know, and so my fear, I mean, my, my, my concern is, is into my black people. So first white folks, you know, don't allow that spirit of fear. Fear is evil. Don't allow that spirit of fear. You've already not been able to embrace the black community because of whatever lies that were told about us. Are there some bad black people? Absolutely. But there are some bad Chinese and Mexicans right. and everybody else. Yeah. And so don't get caught up in fear. To my black counterparts, embrace your kingship. Embrace who you are. Understand where you're seated. Understand that you've been seated in the presence of God even before you ever came to earth. Understand that you can't be seated with God and still not embrace who you are. 
You know, if you don't talk about I'm a Christian and I'm a born again believer, tongue talking, Bible toting and all that stuff, you got to understand who you are. Mm -hmm. And so once we so the encouragement for me uh, after after all of that, I could go on and on and on about (laughs) concern. Mm -hmm. My encouragement, Johnny, is you and Elizabeth Mm -hmm. taking the initiative to say we're white. But we want to deal with this. Johnny, I know you're kind of part white and part Peruvian. <laughs> so so I know this is a little, but but um we're taking the initiative because we don't like what we're seeing, not just in the body of Christ, but 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 in America as well. We don't want our country to be stolen right up out from under us because we're too ignorant to know what it is that we're supposed to do and to believe that our God is the greater than that. He is so the greater than I've watched the Lord. I came from alcoholic parents. You guys, my father left when I was five years old and I remember being in a deliverance meeting with Chuck Pierce and, and Doris Wagner. And the question was, uh, do you love your father? And, and I responded, yes, I love my father very much. Well, Holy Spirit said, how do you know? He left when you were five. So I had to go home. Holy Spirit said he absolved himself from parenting. He absolved himself from any financial responsibility. He absolved himself from any spiritual responsibility. So how do you know you love him? That day, I had to forgive my dad. Never in a million years would I have thought that I needed to forgive my dad. Well, going forward, this is what the Lord said to me about 15 years ago. He said, your people are fighting the wrong people. And he said, they're fighting the white people. That's flesh and blood, but it's a principality Mm. that caused this. Racism is a principality. Now, we may not call it racism. We may call it the anti-Semitic spirit or whatever it is that we call it. But but racism is worse than Moloch. Moloch is the one that, that's killing our children. So the bottom line is I'm encouraged that you all are taking the initiative to say, let's talk about this thing. Let's pull this thing out in the open. Let's see how black people feel. Let's see how white people feel. And let's bridge this racial divide Mm -hmm. in the church. Because see, if the church cannot heal this thing, it can't be healed. Right. Because we're the church. If we can't do it, if not me, who then will do it? Who then will do it? And so that's my I hope I didn't get them mixed up between the concerns and the and no, the encouragement. No, um, that, really that is really, really, really good. Did you have some comments right there? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm feeling so much and I'm thinking so many different thoughts and directions and don't know what's appropriate to say and not at this point because hey, we're the this you, is this is good because that's the way other people feel. So come on out with it, and yeah. then we'll just answer. You know, I um, 
I'm just so amazed that there are my white brothers and sisters in Christ who literally do not and refuse to see that there is systemic racism. And I'm just thinking about what you said, Dr. Gale, little quick comment about, um, I can't remember if you said it before we started recording or during our recording, but the way that we treat our dogs, we, you know, as Americans, we have our little, our little fur babies, mine are at the groomers right now, finally getting groomed after quarantine. They're like little huge fur balls. Anyway, I was thinking even the other day, like how, If we as Christians are focused on what what we what God has awakened our generation of believers to, the fact that we need to show up in society and make a difference and believe for heaven on earth and God's kingdom come in our day and our time and and all the different ways that the kingdom of God can come, then we need all hands on deck and we need everybody fully freed up to be completely who they were created to be in the image of God. We need, we need all races fully themselves with all that they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. We need both men and women fully free to bring what they bring to the table. And I think of just the simple struggle that, that Johnny and I have had over the years um, being in ministry and when we pastored a church for 15 years in the South and all that, just how I felt as a woman. Um, I'm, I'm just, there's a little piece of me that relates to some of what you're saying on that, in that place in my own heart Yes. where I had to educate him and I still have to call his attention to things sometimes like you, you don't know what you don't know. And right now, you're the only one that can make a place for me. These were the kind of conversations that we would have through the years. You're, I can, I can, I can bully my way to to where I Tough think enough. God has created me to be and function, or you can open doors for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I see us as the bride of Christ right now, and Jesus saying, "I, I want." I want the fullness of who I am to be seen in the bride. And we have to slow down as long as it takes to get everybody fully on board, healed, whole, having healthy conversations and unity, unity of purpose, not unity that we all look the same, sound the same. Right. Woman, so I'll just say as I relate using my analogy with Johnny and I, I don't want to be him. I don't need to be him. I don't need to be known for the things he's known for. I don't want to talk like him or preach like him, but I want to preach. Yes. And I have something to say and I have I have important things to offer, but I don't I don't want to be the one having to prove that. You know, and and so I guess I'm voicing that because I'm hoping that some of my white brothers and sisters who've had a hard time, um, we, we've watched, some of us feel like we're not racist because 
we've wa- we have a few friends who are black. Check. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and we've watched these movies that have come out in our lifetime that were really hard to watch about slavery. And so we watch them and we cry in those movies and it impacts us. And we're so sad about what our forefathers did. And um, we're sad about what, what our black brothers and sisters went through all those years ago, but it's still here. The wound is still gaping and open. And if, if, we don't have to understand that to acknowledge it. Yes. And, and we don't have to understand it to say, I'm willing to be a part of the solution. You know, and, and, and we need to begin to look for leadership in the body of Christ, hopefully, that will speak out. Like I've so appreciated, I'll echo what y'all said. I've appreciated my husband and the the voice that he's had in recent weeks. And I feel like God's really anointed you as a leader in the body of Christ right now, specifically as a white man to, to bring facts in the context of truth. Um, and this should just be the, the beginning. Like if things begin to settle down in our culture we need to keep them on the front part of conversation if we care at all like if you it's hard to judge your own level of compassion so we all think we're compassionate <laughs> but we can't really judge that i'm speaking as as a white person here obviously but what we can say is that we're all super passionate as, as believers for the kingdom of God. If we want to see the kingdom come to earth and we want to see the knowledge of the glory of God fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, then we have to slow down long enough to make sure that we are representing the fullness of our God. And that is every beautiful color every beautiful nationality every beautiful race and both men and women and people of every varying degree of brokenness because we're all broken (laughs) you know so that's going to include we haven't even gotten into that conversation but that's going to include some of the lgbt community and 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 I just, I feel the Lord delivering us, Dr. Tina. I love that. That so resonates with my spirit. Anyway, oh, yeah. I'm rambling now, but that's just some of what's going no, on. No, that's good. Heart. Beautiful. Well, and, you know, let me just say a couple things that as we head towards the close, not because it feels like we've just begun. I just had to look at the clock and go, wow, we've been <laughs> here. It's funny how time flies. We, we, we do this. And, um, of course, um, we could have more conversation another time as well. well. We'll see as we do this. But, you know, I had a couple comments. Number one, this is like a sec- as this is a separate matter, but it's something that um, the COVID-19 thing that you brought up, Dr. Gale, there's an aspect of it. The whole agenda behind it gets me so angry at times, and I write about it and, and all that. But, for instance, this was from about a week ago. You're talking about going to Arizona. This might make, I don't know what you ended up deciding to do. If you're going to go to Arizona. We're going. Hold on. <laughs> Listen, you're going to be fine. 
the uh, the the deal with that I I think it was about a week ago they were talking yeah Arizona thousands of new cases record new cases and all that what they won't tell you because this media is part of this whole deception they've been working the race thing against us as well we haven't had help from government and race and 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 some people manipulating from the top but as of a week ago of those thousands of new case in Arizona one not died one was hospitalized there was one hospitalization so we're talking now about something do, do we do the flu report on flu numbers and who because literally there's a higher percentage of people who get flu going to the hospital uh, th than that that's one thing there has been I think it's going to come out and I understand and you may have I'm trying to get the research uh, on it but the African-American community the blacks have been hit worse by the COVID-19 part of it for being first responders and and part there's been cures there really there's been the um, censoring of cures from media social media and everything else like that so you know the h the hydroxychloroquine and the zinc and the azithromycin i think i almost got that right that would would work it's not made available uh to them and and you know if you trust the the hospital, there's so many have been killed in hospitals, I will say, by wrong treatment and all that kind of stuff. And the nursing home, that's a whole nother part of uh, the exposures that need to, need to come out. But I just know, I think there's going to be, it's kind of almost prophetic, combination prophetic and knowledge. There is going to be, there's been something working against blacks, even with the COVID-19. It's part of I could feel it. I, I wrote this prophetic word, you know, a few weeks ago, whatever. What is what is Satan afraid of yeah, with the right. black is what I, I saw that. What yes. I and there is something you can it goes beyond other things that are explainable. There is something you speak of deliverance. So what happens when you get deliverance? You become deliverers. There's yes. There's such a call to be deliverers yeah. and a path, you know, the journey of a deliverer is so much more rough and rugged. You have to have experienced every type of betrayal, rejection and, 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 and all that, you know, you almost, uh, it's, it's like an apostolic journey going through, through all that. And so I, I do believe part of the hope I have is that the Lord is, is about to just really, it's not just surprise the world, but surprise the devil with some, there's some voices arising, new songs. I've seen something just in the last year. You probably it seems like the, the worship we like to listen to the most is Maverick City, Maverick City and there's tribal okay. and all yeah. the new sounds and, and musicians. Dante Bo Dante, Dante. Bo. Yes. Uh, you know, it's like it seems does it not seem like this just mushroom in the last year or two and there's like millions of views and followers and it's anointed. I'm like, there's some there's a sound coming. Uh, from the black community here, there's some freedom. There's something that God is is doing, and and so we're we're really excited about that. We understand. There's I look at it as a reformer. There's two parts. Part is understanding. So understanding is hearing, and so that's why it's good for us. And again, we hope many of our white brothers and sisters to listen to listen to people's journey because that that doesn't cure the whole thing. Uh, you know, conversation, Bishop Perry Jackson, a friend friend of mine, uh, five years ago when there was stuff coming because of the Ferguson riots. Like you said, it is. We can uh, we can do something minimal for a moment and then hope it goes away. And but it just keeps uh, 
it keeps uh, coming back without it being dealt. I said, like, it's good. This thing of understanding and hearing, I'm sorry, that's, that's a component of it. And, it. and it helps. It helps the pain of the moment for, um, uh, for those able to tell their story. But it doesn't, it does not address the systemic matter that are actually in place. It and should be the fuel for the change in the systems. So it's part understanding, part mm-hmm. systemic change. We're not going into uh, today. Obviously, I've addressed it in other places, and I will do so more because I think that's where this thing has to go. Is is not not just we? Yeah, we want tenderness and hugs and man, sorry, love. Let let the love be thick and all that kind of stuff. But okay, let's eliminate some laws and ordinances. Come on, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Prison procedures that are just. They're systemically making this, uh, you know, even if, if a white person has not a drop of uh, even unconscious bias in his mind, it's still there. Mm-hmm. So it's in the system. And, and so even if you get it all out of here, if you got it, you know, we got to take care of both, both of these things. And so these conversations and are And that's good. what I was trying to say. Like, there are some things that you had to make some changes on my behalf to open to give me opportunities, and and that's what I think we're we're gonna we're gonna discover through these conversations some some concrete changes that we can be a part of making within the system, um, and if nothing else, at least understanding why we need to support those that are making those changes. Yeah, and good. What you're saying, Elizabeth, is that just like you know since. It has been a male-dominated world in times past. That for a woman to have to be so strong, to to be the one that advances herself by just being tough as nails, that's not the way it, it needs to work. In the same way, white have been been the majority race, and so we shouldn't just have to force an overexertion from the black side, black community, to, to get their message out, to share the grievance. There has to be. Um, there has to be from the white side say, come on, tell us your story. Tell us how we can help. What are steps? What can we do to, uh, to work together? And yeah, there's parts of it. You've, uh, you, I mean, you've educated us so much, just Dr. Gale on the, and I think both of you actually, Dr. Tina, just what you have within the black community. Uh, if you're whiter and or if you're darker and what you have to, uh, the nuances of what you have to fight within your own community, um, not even to mention that this is part of the whole uh, education. At the end of the day, we're all people. Everybody gets attacked by uh, depression, oppression, and things in some measure. But to the degree we have the race aspect that's just stuck in there as an extra, we want to see how the Lord helps us uh, be healers of it. Because I believe that the United States has this huge call, the melting pot, where there's, and I see it in the spirit, it's this huge uh, Melting pot, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stew from heaven that can feed the nations and it's racial reconciliation, walking together, loving each other. And I really think there's aspects of it already in our, in our next, in the millennials and the Generation Z. Like they, you know, among our kids and grandkids, they are horrified by knowing that uh, how life was. And even exists for black. They're just horrified. They're, it's hard to even the, the blacks trying to do demonstrations. They're going to have half their uh, half or more of the demonstration will be filled with the millennials and Gen Zs because they're horrified by 
what they, you know it, it's, it's yeah thing. so they're kind of they're kind of it's an in, looking at the hopeful encouraging thing they so want that exterminated and extinguished that whole reality and past and and so it's something god is conditioning the next generations even even for and i think there is going to be an opportunity to uh you know race is a racism is a major world principality and it's it's not just one of these right. localized things it's a mm -hmm. world principality the enemy has used to slow down detain kingdom advancement so it requires you know, mature kingdom people like ourselves to say, hey, let's talk. Let's talk about real life, real stuff, real issues. And let's see what, what we can do to be a part of God moving forward. Absolutely. Johnny, I wanted to add one comment you mentioned about um, the church and the mindset. And one of the things that my husband and I, once we were we were uh, transitioning from one church and he was he had his eye on another congregation. And it was a kind of a, a big congregation here in Georgia. And so I went to their website and looked at their leadership. So one of the things I would like to see happen too in the white church, when I looked at that leadership, most of those churches, the black person is the one person assigned to prison ministry and transportation ministry. You don't see them in other areas of leadership. To me, uh, it's that that token black person um, that's in their leadership. And if you're, if it's just like any other place, if you really, I think I like to see that um, shifting of trust. That's a system in the church. Yeah. It is still a system uh, that's in the church, in the leadership of the church, because that person, they're just as gifted. You tell me somebody can't be gifted in outreach. They can't be gifted in finance, uh, other areas of, of discipleship. But most of the time you see black people in leadership and mostly men are in um, leadership as relates to prison ministry. I'm not saying that's something wrong, but there's more. There's more. Yeah, that's more. you talk about. Yeah, in systemic in the church as well. And then you'll find coast to coast. What we found, we were in California. <laughs> Dr. Gale may have, I don't know, that would be for another whole conversation. But, you know, California gets knocked for all kinds of things and liberalism and crazy. It's wonderful, weird and wacky. But we found the, the race thing way dialed down there. And so you will see. Compared to compared to East Coast, South. you come back to East Coast. Yeah, it's more what you're talking about, Doctor Tina. But there, you will see um, more. Uh, it just depends. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I probably might. That's be, true. It's probably you're right. I'm here in the South more, so. Yeah. I've got five things, and I shared this with the group last night, if I may. Yeah. Suggestions of what we can do. Um, and just as an encouragement um, to the white church, I'm in a naturopathic doctorate program, and I've just finished one of the courses on uh, councils on diet and food Wow! Uh, by Elizabeth uh, uh, Ellen G. White. And the book was written in the 1800s. And she was Seventh-day Adventist, and she talks about I, I 400 and something pages and I was convicted through the entire book wow. about the way that we eat. Mm -hmm. And if so, it dawned on me, she talked about Christians and our responsibility in food and taking care of the temple. And every single chapter is like, oh my God, and I don't eat bad. I'm saying that to say that I, I, I'm, I'm 73 years old and to finally understand this temple. Now, I remember when I was sneaking smoking, 
and just, you know, puffing. My mom had <laughs> cancer and I just puffing away and standing out and, and on the patio. And I heard Holy Spirit say, that's my body. You're contaminating. Wow. And, and, and that has been 30 something years ago. Never wanted a cigarette since then. The same wow. thing, conviction about food. I got such an understanding and clarity. Uh oh. Did she freeze? up on us there. Dr. Dell? It'll come back. She'll be unfroze here, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. We'll give it. Hmm. More seconds. You can, Dr. Tina, jump in if you know what she was going to say. Yeah. Well, she had told me about that book and how it um, tied our spirit to what we were eating. And uh, she she did tell me how every every time she reads the pages, she was repenting on how we treat our body. And I, I would think that where she's going is if we see ourselves as Christ's body and how we treat this body and and to get the glory from his body, we would change. If we saw if we really saw and got that perspective that we are his body. And when she was looking at the, the toxic things that they were reading in those pages, it's things that. We, for instance, my grandmother, when we used to eat, she, they didn't let us drink while we were eating. Well, what was the reason for that? We didn't. We just thought they were being mean. We wanted to have our little drink, and but it was because it would cause the food in your stomach at that time to ferment, mm -hmm. and it would do something to your digestive system because it would become fermented. But our perspective about it was that this is what I want right now, and sometimes it's selfishness and the way we treat our bodies that's unhealthy and so i think that's where she was really going is um seeing us as christ's body and to make the body whole holy spirit is speaking to us as we're listening and having that dialogue and giving you an opportunity to be vulnerable that's why i don't know how to say it we've got to give you permission to ask questions and not have that spirit of offense that lens I've been saying to my black colleagues uh, at work as we're having courageous conversations, let's remove the lens of offense so that we can hear the question and be able to come up with good solutions together. So that's one thing I want to encourage you with is feel free to ask the questions because we're taking off the lens of offense so that we can come and reason together and come up with that right solution. Some of it we know because there's things that we've been taught, but just the conviction that she talked about and as, as she was reading how to put certain foods together, how we treat our temple. It's how we treat the temple of God the same way. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. really good stuff. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, you want a final comment? And Sure. It looks like we lost Dr. Gale, but thank you yeah. so much. Dr. Tina, for just your vulnerability and yeah. your um, wisdom, your walk with the Lord that, that allows you to be in such a healthy place to have courageous conversations like this. And we look forward to 
getting to know you more in the future and we're so grateful for your time with us today. Oh, thank you. It's been more than a pleasure and I look forward to getting to know you more too. I really honor and respect your ministry and your voice that you have such empowering truth that you're sharing with the nations and it's changing lives. It's impacting lives. It has impacted mine. Thank you so, Thank much. You so much. Would Thank you like to share your website, your book again? Where can people find your book? Oh, sure. My book is called um, Empowering Truth, Real Stories About Overcoming Domestic Violence and Abuse. Wow. And you can find that on uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And you can actually go to my website, tinaempoweredme.com. And you can click on about the book and you can get the book right there. And I'm also, like I said, any coaching opportunities, life coaching. And again, my show is Truth of the Day with Coach Tina McRae on the PG Network. And I was on um, TV too, TV 57. So I decided to, my uncle's a producer. So I decided to do, I love this mo- this uh, media here. So I do, I have Facebook as well. So my Facebook page is Coach Tina McRae as well. So you'll find me there. Awesome. Well, hopefully people will um, use this opportunity to get your book and and join you on your Facebook and tune into your radio show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anytime, anytime you need me, I'm available to help you. If I can help you in any way, I'm available. I'll make myself available for you. That means a lot. So appreciate that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much again for your time. Give Dr. Gail our love. I will. You guys have a blessed day. Blessings, blessings, everybody. Bye-bye. To you. Bye.